Uh, you can open up your Bible uh, to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in the last few verses of that chapter again, but I want to make a couple announcements uh, as we get ready to turn the corner to the, the Word itself. Uh, one, I just want to say thanks uh, to Marcos for making that video. Uh, brother, you are gifted in many ways, so grateful for you and uh, your use of your gifts in that way uh, and creating that video even on a short week uh, when you're out of town. appreciate it a lot. Um, but I also wanted to let you know um, uh, this is the, with it being July 31st, it's the fifth Sunday. It's also in our annual calendar, it's the last day of our fiscal year as a church family. And so this is the last day to, to put offerings in for this current fiscal year. Uh, but I wanted to say thank you as I've been trying to the last several months. i uh, just been blown away by our collective generosity uh, as a church family this fiscal year. Uh, I don't know how many of you track along with that. And I don't need to give you all the numbers, but we are like six figures ahead uh, of where our budget was. And it's enabled us to be uh, thinking ahead. It's been able, enabling us to support ministries in extra measure. It's enabled us to think imaginatively, to think creatively about the future, to even make some investments in our property here and some ways that we're needed. And so I want to say thank you uh, uh, as one of the pastors and as a fellow church member. Thank you for your generosity. Also, uh, the other thing I wanted to note uh, is that we actually have a new website up as of yesterday. If you uh, don't do this now, uh, do this later. Uh, but I'd encourage you to check it out. We tried to make it more intuitive to people who are outside the church uh, that they can more easily navigate and learn who we are, uh, how to get connected in here. There's still some refinement, but I want to say if he's here, thanks to Dan Manduka uh, for helping us create that and get that up. He is very helpful in that process. So I encourage you to check that out and share it with people as you uh, seek to invite them that are not part of a local church uh, to be part of what God is doing here. Uh, all right, I hope that you have found Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 9, 35 to 38, and I am going to try to preach shorter than I usually do. Uh, Adam, where are you at? Adam Pennard. Uh, thanks for preaching last Sunday in my absence. I heard many compliments. I've still yet to get to listen to it, but one of them was they appreciated being shorter than I often <laughs> preach, and they were serious, not in a bad way. So thank you seriously for preaching uh, last Sunday. And with kids in here, I know some of you aren't normally in here to hear me or somebody else preach, but I want to say thanks for being in here with us and hope that this is helpful uh, even for you. But I'm guessing even the littlest kids in the room have probably heard the term that we use to describe various things as smart devices, like smartphones, smart watches, smart cars that can park themselves, all those sorts of things. The idea with any smart something is that that thing, uh, that new technology allows us to do things more quickly. Uh, that allows us to do things even automatically sometimes that we used to have to put mental energy or physical attention to. Now it does it for us. That's what smart things do, smart devices do. I learned a new phrase this week that's going to lead us uh, into today's text and topic. I learned a phrase, uh, a real thing that is called smart farming this week. And if you know me, I know nothing about farming. There's probably many brothers and sisters in here who could tell you way more about this. Uh, than I could. But when you think of smart farming, think of things like this. These are real things, to my knowledge, that people can use today. Uh, they can have sensors that are in the ground uh, that can tell like the degree to which
which the, the ground has been watered enough until when there needs to be added irrigation, more water given to the crops. Uh, there are, if that's underground, there are drones that can fly above fields and can tell where uh, the, the harvest is going well, where the crops are growing well, where there may be weeds. They can even like either administer spray themselves or know where spray needs to go so they don't just waste it on all the crops. They can be more efficient. Uh, then when it comes to the end of the crop season, harvest time, there's, as you can probably imagine, there's even stuff more than just these huge combines and things like that. There's like machines and robots that can take even things like berries and like real delicate uh, vegetables, things like that, and can harvest those. Like what used to be done, I was reading, by 30 workers, like in harvesting strawberries, can be done by one machine in way less time. Uh, so this whole industry has grown, is growing, it's here to stay. It's not going to go away of smart farming. And long gone are the days that we read about in the Bible or even a few generations ago, but in the Bible of where like Ruth is going out into the fields of Boaz, right? And working with all his workers to, to glean the fields. Those days are gone. You just don't see that happen anymore because of the rise of smart farming. And it's, it's one thing to think of that with physical fields, right? Physical crops, like the, the planting, the, the maintenance, the harvesting of physical crops, like those may be helpful to lower costs, like to increase efficiency, uh, things like that. But what we're talking about, and this is, should be no surprise, what we're talking about today in these few weeks is we're talking about spiritual harvesting. Uh, Jesus uses this metaphor on purpose of going into fields and reaping a harvest. And when we think of spiritual harvesting, the kind that Jesus talks about, there simply is no replacing of flesh and blood human beings. Uh, there is no smart church planting. There is no smart evangelism. You know what I mean when I say that. There's intelligent ways we can do it. There's, no, there's not supposed to be innovative ways that we do that. And I, I want to show you that from this text, uh, from Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, we're taking five weeks, and we're right in the middle of it today to talk about this idea of church planting, of starting a new church. Uh, and we're hoping to do that even in the community of North Manchester uh, within the next few years to start a new church in that community. And we've been talking about how healthy churches plant churches. And so you can see up there where we've been, we're right in that middle week, week one, we talked about the why, that we should be motivated by compassion for the lost. That's why we do it. It's not to build a new, uh, a new location of our church, it's to see the lost one in a community. We talked last week, uh, Adam preached for us about the message of church planting and how the, the proclamation of the gospel, the this speaking of the good news, is the seed of the church plant. The, that's what we take with us when we go to a community when we go anywhere. Today we're going to talk about, using the language of Jesus, we're going to talk about the laborers in the harvest, the actual workers. So I want to read these verses for you. We've read them the last two Sundays. We're going to read them again next Sunday, uh, but we're going to be in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. So I'd encourage you to follow along, at least listen, if not able to kids even like put your eyes on these words. If you know how to read, that would be helpful. But Matthew 9, 35 to 38, Matthew continues his record of Jesus' life, and he says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then these are the two verses we're going to focus on today. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. I want to focus on those last two verses, 37 and 38. I'm going to just speak briefly today under three headings as we think about laborers, as, as we think about the workers that Jesus is talking about here, who they are, why they're needed, what they do. Uh, we're going to talk about the laborers in the field. And the first heading I want to point out to you here and show you and speak to is what I'd call the scarcity of laborers, the scarcity of laborers. Kids, if you don't know what scarcity means, that's just a big word to say there's not enough workers, uh, that there, there is not enough workers in the fields of God. And Jesus uses this metaphor, right? That's why we call it church planting, is he uses this metaphor of a harvest. Uh, he's using this image of crops that, that are planted, that are grown, that are harvested. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, okay? When Jesus says this, he's clearly not talking about like barley or wheat or corn or something like that. He is talk, he's using that picture of a harvest to talk about people, like the bringing in of people into the kingdom of God, bringing people into the family of God. Remember Jesus' compassion, right, on the ones who were shepherdless, the ones who were harassed and helpless under the rule of Satan. Jesus wants to see them brought in to the kingdom of God. And he says that harvest that could be is plentiful. There, there's tons of people that God can, that God even desires to save, to bring in to his kingdom. The harvest is plentiful, but Jesus turns right around and says, but the laborers are few. The workers are few. And Jesus is brutally honest here, right? He's not trying to flatter them. He's not trying to like make them feel bad. He could have just left that out and just said, pray for more workers. But he's brutally honest and saying, even though the harvest is plentiful, there's many people to be one to the Lord. The number of workers is woefully small. The number of people actively engaged in being part of that, of seeing people come into the kingdom, is incredibly small. And we can relate to this in our economy and our community at large right now, a worker shortage, right? It doesn't take you long to go to a fast food restaurant or to see back orders of things that aren't getting delivered or you call into places and you can't get a hold of people. We are experiencing in all sorts of domains a worker shortage, right? A labor crisis where there's not enough workers. Uh, and so we can relate to that in our real life. Jesus is saying that is true in the, in the domain of kingdom work, at least in his day. And I think throughout many times and many places, including here, including now, that the number of laborers is few. And I don't want to just rush past that uh, to miss that Jesus is, is saying something that should confront us. Uh, to, to say the number of laborers are few, that number is few. I think that should at least make us pause and do an honest assessment of ourselves. As a church, to do an honest assessment of ourselves as an individual or a family to say, am I part of that labor crisis? Like, am I actually active in trying to see people want into the kingdom? Am I active? Am I putting effort into seeing this work be done of souls being saved, of men and women and boys and girls being brought to the knowledge of Jesus? And to do evaluation in my life, if not, what am I giving my time to that is rising above that? Like, what am I giving my time, my life, my energy to that is more important than this, than the harvesting of people, the bringing in of people into the family of God? 
And so Jesus, he's painfully honest here. He speaks to the shortage of workers, the scarcity of laborers. Uh, that it was true in his day, I would suggest, I think it's true in our day as well. There's a scarcity of laborers. But the question then comes, if that's the real problem, if that's reality, that, that's the truth about the state of the workforce, of people bring, being active and bringing people into the kingdom, What's the solution? Like, what do we do with that? It's one thing if you run a restaurant and you try to scramble. It's, it's one thing if you are running a business and you're having a shortage of workers. But what is Jesus's solution? When he looks out and sees there's not enough workers, there's not enough people involved in this work, what is his answer? Is it, there is a therefore, right? At the start of verse 38, he says what the problem is. Hey, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, everybody. And then he tells us, therefore, such and such. Like, therefore, there's something we need to do about it. If we were writing this, if we were speaking it, we might have said, therefore, many other things, right? We, we could, just in how we think, we could, have, we could think, well, take the workers you do have and work them harder and longer, right? Like, just make them work overtime. Like, make the people who are active be even more active. Like, lay a guilt trip on them. That would be one way. Another, therefore, you could say, well, like, if we just don't have enough workers, we could just lower our goal, lower our expectation, right? Like, lower our hopes of what can actually be done in the world and in our community. That's not what Jesus says to do. He still says the harvest is plentiful, right? And that is not changing. Like, we still should strive to see many, as many as possible, brought into the kingdom. Or we could think, therefore be innovative. Therefore, come up with some new strategy. Come up with those smart church planting, smart evangelism ways to be more efficient, to be more cutting edge. We could think all of those things. But Jesus' answer is much simpler, right? And this is going to be the second heading that, uh, that I speak to today. He speaks of the necessity of laborers. Jesus' answer is not innovation. It's more workers, like that is just plainly what he says to pray for and strive for is not to just make do with the workers we already have or work them harder or longer or more creatively. He says to pray, right? Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly, he even says, to the Lord of the harvest. And we'll talk more about that phrase next Sunday. But he says what to pray for, right? He says to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So implied in that is an asking for more, a request of God of more people to be active in going out into the fields, to be active in going to men and women with the good news of Jesus. And this, I think, should speak volumes to us that God never deviates from his ancient plan of using actual flesh and blood people to reach flesh and blood people. Uh, the, the actual human effort to, to take the good news to people and to see them brought into the kingdom. If you know me, you know I quote Charles Spurgeon a lot. I came across this quote and wanted to share it with you. I very appreciate this. He said, speaking of Jesus in this verse uh, 38, he says that Jesus did not say, the harvest truly is plenteous and the laborers are few, but that matters not. God can bless a few and make them accomplish as many as much. No, he believed in his father's omnipotence, but he also believed that the Lord would work by means. 
and that many laborers were required to gather in a plenteous harvest, and therefore he told us to pray for them. I appreciate that a lot. Because uh, God could operate however he wants, right? But God has bound himself, or however you want to think about that, God has set a way that people will be brought into the kingdom. And the way it happens is by people like me and you going and telling them. Going and telling them the good news of Jesus, calling them to respond, leading them in prayer and confession, and bringing them to Christ. That is how people are brought in. That is how the harvest happens. And what a privilege that is for us to be part of that, right? Because God could have created other ways. He could use angels to preach the gospel. He could just plant it in people's brain. He could have done it however he sees fit, but he has bound himself to use people like us to go and tell the good news of Jesus. That should make us feel privileged to be a part. And there is simply no way for people to be brought into the kingdom or for a church to be planted in North Manchester, for a church to be started in Papua New Guinea or South Sudan or Laos or any other place that we send people. There is no way that these are going to happen without people like us being active in the process of going, of speaking, of calling people to believe and to repent. There is no technology that we can develop to make the harvest more efficient, right? Even with the rise of the internet and whatever we want to imagine technology-wise, no technology is going to bring people into the kingdom. Right? And it's not just that we need better tools or we need more money. It, those things may be helpful, but they do not actually save people, right? And the answer is not to have some super laborers, like create somebody in a factory who can just do the work of 30 people, like with a strawberry machine. Uh, we can't just create super Christians to go. There needs to be more people sent into the harvest, more people active and going t and telling people about Jesus. I'm going to do some of this next week, but I want to make sure I alleviate some misunderstanding. When I say that our work is necessary, when Jesus talks about the work of laborers being necessary, he doesn't mean a few things. Like, he doesn't mean that his own work is insufficient, right? Like, he still says to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers into his harvest. Like, God is the one ultimately who saves, right? Um, but we are active in that process. We are part of the means by which God works. We don't die in people's places. Christ has done that. We don't change people's heart. The Spirit does that. But we are part of how God does it. And we're an integral, essential part of it. Right? And saying that our work's important doesn't mean that prayer is meaningless. Right? Jesus, in this text, isn't just saying, therefore, go into the harvest. He says, therefore, pray for God to send people into the harvest. Like, prayer is important. It's effective. It doesn't undermine the, the importance of work. I would actually say the more we pray, the more serious our prayer is, the more sweat we should have on our brow. Right? Like, those should rise together. Like, the more seriously we take something and are begging God for it, the more action we should put behind that. It's not that prayer rises and my action sinks. It's that both should rise with one another. So friends, if a church is going to be started in North Manchester, if a church is going to be started in any of these places, it's going to be by the work of spiritual laborers, right, who go with the good news of Jesus. I wanted to just take a moment and commend even Adam and Claire and commend the team that started together this last school year. Uh, there's been a group of, of several individuals, families who've been gathering together to begin praying, to begin talking, uh, to be able to start planning and anticipating as much as they're able of 
what a work in North Manchester could be like, but they are dedicated to being part of the actual work, not just mentally, not just in concept form, but in actual boots on the ground, words on the tongue, uh, like going to people to tell them the good news of Jesus. And I'm so grateful for them. I would love to see many more from our church even, especially those of you who live south of town here, uh, to be considering whether you may be able to be part of that team, where you may be part of these laborers who go into that particular field uh, to, to, to plant, to reap a harvest there. So there's a necessity of laborers. The last heading I want to talk about is the activity of laborers, okay? Jesus has established that workers are essential. Like they, they are the way the kingdom is going to grow is by people like us going with the good news of Jesus, going into the harvest. But there is nothing worse than having lazy, inactive workers, right? Uh, I would rather, if I was overseeing something, I would rather have no workers than lazy workers, right? I don't know about you, but like, I would just rather not have the crew than have the crew and have them just sit doing nothing, right? Like, Jesus doesn't just desire, he doesn't just command for there to just be laborers in concept, right? Like, he actually wants them to do something, like to actually do work. That's what a laborer actually is. It's not just being present, it's being active. It's not just being around the field, it's being in the field, right? That's what Jesus talks about here. Notice that Jesus says what to pray for. He says to pray to the Lord of the harvest that that God, that his father, verse 38, would send out laborers into his harvest. That's what he wants to see happen ultimately is that people actually go into the field, not that they just come near it, not just that they can see it from afar, but people to actually go and do the work. And I so appreciate that Jesus, and this is how he always is, he does what he commands us to do, right? Like he turns right around in chapter 10 and he commands, he sends out his disciples to go into the harvest fields of these towns that are nearby. He, he sends them out, not just to like march around the towns and, and kind of view it from afar, but to actually go and talk to people, to actually tell them that the Messiah has come, to actually call them to repent. He, he sends them into these cities. And Jesus doesn't just want if I could say it this way, he doesn't just want students of harvesting, right? Like who have studied it in college or who have talked about it in classes. That does nothing for the crops. That does nothing to bring people in is just to think about it and to study it. He doesn't just want students of harvesting. He doesn't just want supervisors of fellow harvesters, right? Who we all like to be management instead of actual ground level workers, right? Jesus isn't saying, rise up managers, like pray for managers to raise up and supervise the laborers. He's saying pray for more workers to actually go work, like to actually go talk to people, to actually go touch them, speak to them, represent me to them. He doesn't just want students. He doesn't just want supervisors. Jesus, in sticking with this harvest image, Jesus doesn't just want people sitting around the edges of the field sharpening their sickles, right? Like thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great when I can actually go out here and I'm just going to keep sharpening this and sharpening it and sharpening it. I'm never actually going to go out into the field. That does nothing for the harvest, right? To just sit on the fringe and just sharpen perpetually, right? It does no good to just walk around the edges of the crops and kind of look down and make sure that the rows are straight and make sure that, that uh, no animals are eating them. Like we actually, Jesus says, are to go into the harvest, 
right? To go into the field, to go meet people where they are. Souls are not saved because we intended to tell them about Jesus, right? Like good intentions don't save anyone. Like people are not saved because we considered talking to them. They're, they're not saved because we thought about it or we meant to talk to them or we, we have uh, prayed about it many times. That doesn't bring salvation to people. If they don't actually hear someone like me and you tell them about Jesus, there is no harvest of them. There is no bringing of them into the kingdom unless they actually hear the good news. Now, as we go into the harvest, as we are active in the harvest of seeing men and women and boys and girls brought into the kingdom, we may have different roles, right? Like not every harvester does exactly the same thing. But the, the, the idea of a harvest, especially in ancient times and before smart farming, uh, would be a community activity, right? Like people would come together that normally happen at harvest time to work together and each play their part, but they were active and working together. And the same is true in a church. That this, is, this idea of going into the harvest of North Manchester, or going into the harvest of Papua New Guinea, or going into the harvest of Winona Lake is not just something that pastors do. It's not just something life group leaders do or deacons do. The harvest is something that all of God's people are to be a part of, including you. If you're part of the church here, this is something that you are to be part of as well. It's not just for super Christians or special Christians. It's something that all of us are to be part of, and it's hard work. Like harvesting pre-drones and sensors and stuff was hard work. It's still hard work, but it was physically draining hard work. And the idea of going to people with the good news, seeing them brought into the kingdom is hard work. It takes time and effort. And sometimes it's not as fruitful as we desire for it to be. Uh, it is not convenient. In the harvest time, farmers that I know work tons of hours and it's draining. It's hard work that they have. And it, it requires determination and stick to itness. And we, we do this as a church. We say, we often say that we reach the nations and the generations with the gospel. That's what we've flashed onto as a phrase. I actually try to use a word at the start of that that I don't want to be thrown away. I say that we strive to reach the nations and the generations with the gospel of Christ because doing this is hard. It's not easy. Like Jesus could have used some other metaphor, but harvest work is hard work. It takes determination, it takes longevity, it takes persistence. It's something that we strive to to do as a church family, both in our community and around the world. And we do that hard work not to get some sort of paycheck or kickback for ourselves or to get the applause of our supervisor, Jesus. The reason that we labor hard, that we're willing to put ourselves out there, that we're willing to forego certain things to be part of telling the good news to people is not because we are driven by Jesus as if he's like some master who's just cruelly driving us to, to produce more and do more and get it back out there. What are you doing coming in? The reason we work hard is because he has worked for us right? This is stretching the metaphor beyond what I think it was intended to, but before you're a laborer in the harvest, you are part of the harvest, right? Like somebody came to you with the good news, but even beyond that, Jesus died to bring you into the kingdom of God. Like he, he suffered upon the cross, something far worse than harvest work and putting yourself out there proclaiming the good news. He suffered and died for your sins so that you could be brought into the kingdom, 
That is why we go back out into the field. Like we who are part of the harvest somehow become harvesters now who God sends back out into the harvest. That is why we go. It's not to get somebody off our back. It's not to appease our conscience. It's not to even for just for the sake of the people we go to, but it's because Christ suffered for us. He has brought us into the kingdom and we can't help but go back out to bring more, right? That is why we do this hard work. And our mission field is not just North Manchester. Our mission field is not just Papua New Guinea. It's not just Laos. It's not just these places around the world that we have sent people to. Our mission field, the field that you are probably sent into, most of you in the room, including me, that we're sent into, is right here, like in driving distance. It's a stone's throws from here. There is a field. Like the fields that are ripe for the harvest are not just overseas. They're not just in these unreached places. We want to continue to send people there and train people to go there but there are fields around here so I want to encourage us to think of our workplaces think of our neighborhoods think of our extended families think of our friendships think of those as harvest fields that God has either already put you in or he's put right next to you that he's calling you to go out into and to do the hard work of speaking the good news of Jesus we should enter those domains wanting to work on behalf of Christ to see men and women brought into the kingdom but I also want you to think generationally of a harvest as well. Uh, we, we want as a church to keep investing in the generation coming behind us right here in our own town, in our own families, in our own church. I was thinking of this image of a harvest. You don't just harvest a field once, right? Typically, again, my ignorance of farming, but I'm pretty sure you grow, and you may grow different crops, but you circle crops through, right? And that same ground, that same place on earth, more crops are raised up, right? That we harvest again. And we have a, a sweet privilege as the people of God, as we've been part of that harvest maybe years ago, maybe a month ago, who knows? But we were part of this field where God has harvested us. He's brought us in. And now in these young boys and girls and teenagers, there is new crops that are growing up that we have a responsibility to tend to and to try to help see them brought into the kingdom. And I, I want to encourage two ways that you could even think of generational harvesting being active in the fields, even right here. One is if you are a grandparent in our church, we'll tell you more about this in the weeks ahead, but we're going to be hosting a, uh, a, a live stream of a grandparent summit called Legacy Grandparenting Summit. It's going to be out in October. Uh, Pastor Larry helps with this organization uh, that runs it. Uh, there's actually an early bird registration if you'd like to register for this thing that even ends today. And we'll have information out at the, the Welcome Center uh, where uh, David will be who would love to talk to you about that. But that's a, a, a simulcast. It's a two-day thing, a, a Thursday and a Friday to help you get sharpened as a grandparent but for the sake of going into the field of your own family. The people that are coming behind you in the very same field uh, that you've been part of and this field that you've been entrusted to, to go with to them with the good news of Jesus and share it with them hopefully see them come into the kingdom so that's a wonderful opportunity the other is a much broader net I'd like to cast uh, is that I want to encourage you if you are a part of our church to find ways that you can practically be involved in discipling and teaching the generations that are younger than us in this church. Uh, those can eat, mo 
most easily happen in our children's ministry, our youth ministries, where we have this field of young people that where seeds have been planted and we can continue to plant the seed, we can water them, we can help see them grow up in the faith and even be part of bringing in the harvest. If that's something you have not been active in, maybe for a long time or maybe ever, even if you don't feel like you are the most gifted teacher of kids, even if you don't feel like you are the most child-centered type of person, I would encourage you to work in this field with us, uh, to be part of working in this field of, of generationally seeing people grow up behind us in the faith. I know Jordan Weddle, our children's ministry director, Jake Osborne, who's at camp, uh, who oversees our student ministries, would love to talk to you. The start of a school year that's looming is a great chance uh, as we cycle in new classes and programs and activities uh, to be part of seeing them brought into the kingdom. So I'd encourage you to consider that. I want to end by saying this. We live in a day of innovation, right? Like technology just has rapidly developed the last century or so. We live in a day of innovation. But I want us as a church family to stake our flag that when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to church planning, we are not trying to innovate, right? Like we are trying to do what Jesus said to do. We are not abandoning the age-old, eternal method of God of sending actual men and women young men, young women like us out into the fields of the world, here in our own community and around the world. That is how the harvest is brought in. And that is how we're committed to doing it. There's no replacing human labor in God's economy of grace. I am not gonna say what restaurant this was because I don't know if any of you work there and I don't want to disparage it. There is a fast food restaurant that I've gone to uh, many times the last several months and I always feel very convicted. I always forget it's there. But when I get it, the line takes forever because of the labor shortage, I think. I finally get up to the window, and some of you may know what I'm talking about when I say this, but on the sign, like at the window where you pay and pick up your food, it says, the world is short-staffed, be kind. And I always was like, oh man, like that's such a convicting thing, like okay, I, I need to be kind. And that's what they're going for. But what I don't do when I see that sign is get out of my car and go in and help them work, right? And go start making the food. It doesn't actually motivate me to do anything, uh, to join in the work. It just makes me nicer uh, for a moment. But I want to end by saying this and echoing the words of Jesus, is that the harvest field of the kingdom of God is short-staffed. And more than just be kind to the people who are active in doing it, I would encourage and uh, exhort us to join in. Like get out of the car, like actually go in, actually be part of the labor that God has for us to do here in our community and around the world of seeing men and women and boys and girls to hear the good news of Jesus and be brought into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing one more song, uh, and then I'll come back up and leave us with a word of benediction. But let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful as your people uh, that uh, for many of us in this room, you have brought us into the harvest, that you have brought us into your kingdom, that there were people who came to us with the good news of Jesus, that came to us to call us to repent and believe and you gave us life and you've brought us in. And God, we pray that you would motivate us to go back out. That we would not just rest content and joyful as we are uh, with the salvation that you've given to us, but that we would be active in taking it to others. That we would be eager, whether it's with our own children and grandchildren, whether it's with our relatives, whether it's with our neighbors, 
our coworkers, maybe even with strangers. We pray that we would be eager to speak the good news and to be part actively of laboring in the harvest field. God, we pray even that you would raise up more to go into faraway harvest fields uh, where they do have to sharpen the sickle and learn new languages and and learn uh, new communities. But we pray whether there or here that we would be active in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And we pray even as we sing uh, that you would be honored, that we would be encouraged. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.